Hi, everyone. Welcome to Paying Attention, a regular conversation between me and my friend, Nicholas Gruen. I'm Peyton Bowman. And here am I with my trusty uh, pot and cup of green tea. Yeah, well, it's great to see you. So uh, this week, uh, I thought we could talk a little bit about a topic you raised on your Twitter feed. Uh, you posted a link or actually a, a quote um, by William James, and you, you, I believe, titled it James on Zelensky. Uh, maybe you could tell people a little bit about that quote and what it was all about. I, I will. And it's sort of, I was just thinking earlier, it is about a week. I think when we last recorded a message, we didn't know the name uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, or we would have heard it on the news, but it didn't really, in, we, 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 he, he wasn't a household word and or a household name. And it was electrifying when I first saw those uh, videos of his, the incredible courage. And um, it put me in mind of an essay by, um, or a speech initially by the great American philosopher, William James. Um, and I used it in a, in a, in a long essay or in an essay of mine on um, different ways of knowing. And, the, and But the essay is called The Will to Believe. And it's James dealing, well, not that I want to get into this uh, today, but he's dealing with the question of faith in our lives. And he, by faith, he does mean religious faith, but he also means uh, the faith that you and I had in each other to each turn up on this platform at the same time, uh, the faith that we have that the words that we're using are conveying something of what we're saying, the, the way in which our lives are saturated with faith, and the incredibly, and, and the fact that like a fish can't doesn't know that it's swimming in water, we don't appreciate how much this is a building block of our lives and how necessary it is to lead a healthy and a happy life. So without further ado, he said, with lots of ado, I'll now read you the passage. Any social organism of any sort, whatever, large or small, is what it is because each member proceeds to his own duty with a trust that the other members will simultaneously do theirs. Wherever a desired result is achieved by the cooperation of many independent persons, the existence as a fact is pure consequence of the pre precursive faith in one another of those immediately concerned. A government, an army, a commercial system, a ship, a college, an athletics team, all exist on this condition without which not only is nothing achieved, but nothing is even attempted. And if that isn't clear enough as to why I was taught, why I, that why Zelensky conjures up for me that passage, I'll make it more specific by reading on. Yeah. A whole train of passengers, individually brave enough, will be looted by a few highwaymen simply because the latter can count on one another, while each passenger fears that if he makes a movement of resistance, he will be shot before anyone else backs him up. These, there are then cases where a fact cannot come at all unless a preliminary faith exists in its coming. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's a really interesting example there. I mean, it, it, it takes the whole idea of a, a trust fall and puts it in a different light, don't you think, when you're... Uh, when it you're, does. You're, and it's like, uh, to, to quote another, uh, an economist called a uh, to, called GLS Shackle in around about the 1970s, a Keynesian economist who talked about the importance of expectations, coined this expression, the world is colliding. And that is the idea that you're looking through the world, it all looks pretty grim. And certainly I thought things were looking pretty grim. I've been thinking things have been pretty grim on a number of dimensions for a while now and getting grimmer. And then a little crystal shifts and you turn the barrel a little and then you can see not just the seeds of optimism, but everything looks different. And Zelensky was like that. Zelensky said, fuck you, I'm happy to die if I have to. Uh, And that's the ultimate thing that we all can choose to do, and it's a silly thing to be at all flip about it. But uh, we're all going to die, so, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, as it were. We'll leave that. I'll let that hang in the air. So so it's all of those things that just thrilled me about what Zelensky did and then how I think it it had a it's already had a material impact of massive proportions um i'll defend that if you would like <laughs> just to let you get a just to let you get a word in edgeways uh, I, I do think uh, no i mean not to to attack but i'm kind of curious i mean in terms of understanding the mechanics behind this you know so i think in the let's say the ancient world we might have imagined there are these kind of there's this whole idea of a, a great man theory of history, right? So there are certain people yeah. that are related to the gods. They have special charisma. They have special powers, special rights to rule over others, perhaps because of their relationship to the divine. Let's say. But, uh, but here, let me just hang on. Let me just interrupt you there. Hold your thought and keep asking it after I just interpolate something which I find of interest, and you may too, and you may already know it. That word charisma means gift, and it's mm. the same word. It's the same root word as thank you in Greek, and it's the mm. same u- root word as Eucharist. Mm. So the Eucharist is passing the charisma down yeah. from one of the gods. Just a thought. Press on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's an interesting point. So I mean, and that's an interesting thing because, at one level, you could say, well, Zelensky's a man with incredible charisma. There are a lot of people who have a lot of charisma. I mean, Hollywood, for example, is full of them. So what is it about this decision, uh, you know, that this this individual decision, which let's say we will assume for the moment has no connection to any sort of divine sort of action, but it's a human decision. Yeah. And what is it about this particular decision that, that changes the collective reality for the the people? Well, I, I... I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's not too connected to charisma. I mean, it's fantastic that he's charismatic, and I'm trying to think of counterexamples, but I can't because Churchill was very charismatic. I think perhaps a a counterexample is a little bit uh, Abraham Lincoln, who wasn't charismatic until you got into the vibe of the thing, as it were, until you started listening to the cadences and you started noticing that this thing came from the depths as it were uh, so I think that so I think that the thing that made the difference was not Zelensky's 
charisma, which was obviously powerful and helped to radiate what he did, it was his courage. And it was his, as we can now see in retrospect, and perhaps he can only see in retrospect, his um, his dedication to fighting bullshit and, and diplomacy and what you're going to do and how you're going to be tough. I mean, remember the first set of sanctions that came out, all the Europeans were running, out, running around saying, these are the strongest sanctions we've ever imposed on anyone. And and good old Vladimir Vladimir Vladimirovich, uh, Putin was going, good, that's just what I planned. And um, and then someone called bullshit, and he did so in a way that we could tell wasn't bullshit. Mm. Because he said, well, I'm, I might die doing this, and I mm. could not die, but don't send... I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Um, so that's what he did. And when I saw it, I sort of thought, well, this is just wonderful. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. And then about a day or two later, I had a conversation with a friend about the new set of sanctions that had been uh, imposed, most particularly the freezing of the assets of the of the Bank of Russia, the Russian Central Bank, uh, which is in the process of crippling the Russian economy, and that's arguably it's all all Zelensky, uh, it's all the man in the with the highwayman, and he got up and he ran at the highwayman, and people start and they got on, had enough time to do something about it. So, so. That's what he did, and I actually want to kind of – it's obviously the obvious word, the cliched word, and the true word is that what he did was inspirational, mm -hmm. but I want, to, I want to encounter it at a much more prosaic level. All he did was to do what a leader should do in that situation. Mm -hmm. All he did was do what John Smith, I think his name was, who was the captain of the Titanic did, which is he went down with his ship and he wasn't, he was a hero because that's a heroic thing to do. But he also knew that he, if he got home, he could never show his face in public. That was just an utterly shameful thing to do. And of course, it's so nor doing the opposite of that now is so normalized that the, the American embassy ring up and say, we've, we've set up a ride for you to run away. Uh, they don't even say, gee, uh, well, you know, it's a lot for us to ask because we're not the ones dying, but would you mind staying there because it would actually be better for your cause? So everything was topsy-turvy. And so Zelensky reminds us that we can step out of this world of dysfunction and on our own step into a possible alternative world and everybody gets it and goes, yeah, yeah, we know that world. We got told stories about that world. We live in that world in, uh, on particular days when people honour each other and do the right thing. And so this transformation takes place. Uh, it's complete. Now, that is inspiring. That is completely mind-blowing, I think. Yeah. It's an interesting way of looking at it. So basically by, by doing his duty, or at least what we think his duty should be, that in and of itself is a condition for showing courage, 
creating inspiration in others. It's or a connection. It, he yeah. has, so what's happening there, one of the things that's happening there is that he's just a little individual like we hear in our little post-enlightenment modern world and there is this other thing which is called our culture which connects people together and he acts, his action is the action of an individual operating in harmony with their culture, not with, with their pure individual interests and thus enriching everyone in the process, including himself. Uh, as Churchill said at the end of a long five-day cabinet meeting when he'd just become prime minister and he was dealing with Halifax uh, and Chamberlain and two other ca uh, war cabinet ministers, two, two or three of these guys wanted Halifax to travel to Rome to negotiate with Mussolini, some sort of peace with Hitler. And he faced them down over five days. He cajoled them. He bullied them. He did everything he could. And then at the end of this process, he said, he said, well, gentlemen, he said, I'm sure I speak for us all when I say that I would, if, if the Germans overrun this country, or I'd rather be lying dead in the gutter with blood running out of my neck. <laughs> you can imagine, you know, Neville Chamberlain thinking, oh, yes, yes, Winston. Um, and so by act of will, by act of charisma, by act of courage, Churchill's crazy, brave, Zelensky-esque courage, uh, he transforms things. Um, so, so, and, and, but, but I think that Zelensky has done much more because Churchill was already prime minister and the British were already dug in and some sort of peace with Hitler wouldn't have lasted for very long and... Anyway, so so I think ultimately they were at least with the benefit of hindsight, the British were going to win that war. Surprise, you know, even though it didn't look certainly didn't look like it at the time. Whereas this one, I think, could easily have just been, uh, you know, Ukraine could have been gobbled up, dismembered. Maybe it will be um, uh, with a lot more bloodshed. So there you are. That's the other side of it. Maybe you should have not shown us any of those heroics and fewer people would have been killed. But I was completely thrilled by, completely thrilled by what he did. And I've now shamefully forgotten the question you asked or the comment that you made before I well, went on this rant. Yeah, well, well I, I think, it, no, it all illustrates to some degree the point that, and I, I want to dig a little bit into this idea of, I think you said you said earlier doing what he, he should do as a leader, doing his duty as a leader. Yeah, and I like the, I'm kind of interested in the dynamic here because when I think of let's say doing a, a duty or doing a role, especially one that's involved in running a country or leading a people, I'm often you know think a little bit let's say about uh, Aristotle's politics, the idea of you know you know eudaimonia, like happiness that's generated by doing something, by, by fulfilling a role in a particular way. And it's sort yeah, of this, yeah. it's almost like this generative process of, of doing yeah, the right Yeah, absolutely thing. it is. Having Not almost, I think it virtuous, is. Yeah. Virtuous reaction to events. So that, and then on the other hand, I think you can, you can consider a model of courage that's a kind of form of restraint, let's say. So for example, or any kind of duty, it's yeah. almost like an idea of restraint. So if a bear is coming, chasing at me, the courage sort of 
okay, I'm not going to run away from this bear because well, for whatever the consequences that may be, I have to stop myself from that initial instinct. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think that there, there's, and I wanted to, to kind of draw a link in trying to, to dig into this idea a little bit between another piece you wrote about, and you shared with me about uh, different kinds of knowing, the idea of sympathy, the idea of faith, and the way in which knowledge is, and knowledge and feeling are shared by a community. And so in the sense that if you see, let's say, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think there's a sense in which, and I, I, don't, I don't know if this is, this is the right way of putting it, putting it per se, but, but Zelensky in exercising his role, and I'm sure it's very difficult and unpleasant in many, many different ways, but it, there's also has to be a sense of, uh, a sense of pleasure in a sense of being through proper. I mean, Churchill just couldn't, you just couldn't have made the guy happier. Uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, in fact, it was Churchill who said he was in a, he gave a talk to his old, uh, to, to his old school, Harrow. And mm. they introduced him and they said, um, these are, uh, uh, you know, we're so grateful to have our prime minister and no doubt they said inspiration in these dark times. You remember what I'm, you, you know how he, well, he pulled them up and he said, these are not dark times. These are stern times. These are sublime times. We are called to be present at a, well, we now call it a hinge moment. We are here at the center of all that matters. Mm. Uh, all that has ever, at a moment of immense, um, well, just immense significance for the world, for Europe, for the species. Um, these are sublime times. He kept using the word sublime. He uses the word sublime when he talks about we will fight them on the beaches. He talks about the sublime French who've made an absolute balls up of the whole thing, of course. Um, and um, uh, so, so yeah, and I would expect that, uh, you know, it's easy for me to say, isn't it? So, but, but a man like that is thinking good. Um, might be better if I was 65 and not 45, but the, if I have to die, I could do worse. Um, and that's what Churchill just loved the idea of dying some glorious death. Yeah, well, it does sound a little bit out of keeping with contemporary mores, I guess. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, or, you know, so... But that's why, but that's why the captain of the Titanic is really a lovely story because it is for, you know, there are lots of things we wouldn't have liked about that world, but that's something about that world, which is you just don't come home. Yeah. Uh, you're... You, you know, you're, you're, you, you know, you put, you put your money where your mouth is and you're doing everything you can to stop that ship going down. Um, and we know there are no conflicts of interest between the ship and you. <laughs> and that's kind of good for the passengers to know. That's my point. I presume that that idea is not, um, would not be the case with a cargo ship. Uh, and it's not the case if you get all the passengers off the ship. But, yeah. you know, the, the, and so this brings it down. Uh, the idea of a kind of humdrum heroism is a powerful one. The idea yeah. that at bottom a culture simply expects certain things to happen. And, of course, this does happen in the army. 
in the army, people are just constantly drilled, not to be heroes for no reason, but that there are, they are drilled about this line when they say, right, I have to dig in and I have to do, do everything I can here, including at great risk to myself. Yeah. So, well, I guess in a way to get back to this other question, then, what is... <laughs> Well, no, but, but I think I'm this dragging is, this thing towards heroism. You go, you go, Pat. Well, no, because I do think all these points are absolutely fundamental to the, the discussion and to understanding yep. um, this this kind of leadership, which we haven't seen. Let's say it's it's not something we're used to seeing very much. Yeah, in, it certainly isn't. Time. Yeah. So, but what what is it? What is the mechanism then that that makes this mean something to? I mean, you know. To people in Ukraine, I, I think it's certainly obviously, well, I don't know. First of all, how, how does this mechanism of a courageous leader affect the people in the country, for example? Mm. But why is it mm. also affecting us? Why is it also affecting the, the other foreign powers who are putting sanctions on Russia for this act? I mean, so what, what is, how is this kind of viral in a sense? Or what is it? Yeah, about? well, that's a fantastic question and i would like to invite you if you want to to uh explain to me what you explained earlier which is the distinction between an idea of a society with the managers as the head and the brain or the prime minister as the head and the brain of an organization as opposed to another way of thinking about it and that would be i think that would be a great way if you can explain that that would be a great way that we can then take the conversation further sure so you know earlier i brought up the idea of how we think of organizations and the metaphor of the the organization as a human body so this is a a metaphor that's used uh, a lot in literature throughout the centuries and um i probably the most famous kind of iteration of this idea appears in the New Testament. So in which Paul is talking about the church and how the church members of the church all serve a different function, like the hands or the feet or, or the body. And then that, that human body sort of becomes this church, which is also the bride of Christ. So there's this, this kind of, this kind of uh, anthropomorphization, I don't know the word, but of anthropomorphization. Yep. Yeah, that was right. Anthropomorphization. Yep, I think that's yeah, something right. like that. So it's, anyway. anthrop it's certainly anthropomorphic. So go with that. But but I think you know in in contemporary times when we if we sort of imagine this metaphor, we'd say, okay, well then, who's that head of the body? Who's doing the thinking? And that's that's the leader. That's the real, I suppose. Oh, that's where you would want to be. Let's say if you could choose to be part of this body. But it, it calls to mind an earlier version of this, which appears in Livy and... Um, uh, the Roman historian Livy, go on. That's correct, yes. Yeah. So Livy... Uh, not that I, don't, I don't say that as if I know Livy particularly well. I'm just saying that because uh, I do know that much. <laughs> but, you know, he's writing about the history of the Roman people and he is writing about a conflict that took place at the beginning of the 5th century when... Uh, Basically, it was a, a kind of very early version of a strike. Um, there were two general classes of people, the patricians, who were the aristocratic group, and the plebeians, who were the people involved in uh, labor, essentially. And at one point, the plebeians thought, uh, this is 
we're doing all this work for this aristocratic group and we don't get enough back, so we're just going to leave. And so they all, uh, not all of them, but a, a large chunk of them left the city, went over a river, the river Anio, and set up camp and just started living there. And they were kind of uh, just camping out there. And according to the story, the Roman... And they were missed. Their contribution was missed. And they were particularly, the Senate was particularly concerned about security, which is actually kind of an interesting parallel to what's, what's in a way going on in Russia. But um, they, were, they were worried about dividing the country and making them essentially vulnerable to, to uh, outside conquest and or they also didn't have enough people to do the work that they wanted to do. So they sent out a guy named uh, Agrippa Menenius, who was uh, born to the plebeian class, but who was associated with the uh, patricians. And he went out to this, went out to speak to them, and he used this kind of metaphor of the body. Uh, but instead of describing the, the Senate or the aristocratic group, this patrician group as the head, <laughs> he, he just talks about them being the stomach. So the, all the, the people, the, the, you know, he says, uh, I have the quote here, um, and he, he gives this kind of parallel, uh, a parable or a kind of, uh, you know, fable. In the days when man's members, man's, you know, arms and legs and his, you know, did not agree amongst themselves, as is now the case, but had each in its own ideas and a voice of its own, the other parts thought it unfair that they should have the worry and the trouble and the labor of providing everything for the belly. While the belly remained quietly in their midst with nothing to do but enjoy the good things that were bestowed upon it. They therefore conspired together that the hands should carry no food to the mouth, nor the mouth accept anything that was given to it, nor the teeth grind up what they had received. While they sought in this angry spirit to starve the belly into submission, the members themselves that had, the members themselves and the whole body were reduced to the utmost weakness. Hence it had become clear that even the belly had no idle task to perform and was no more nourished than it nourished the rest by giving out to all parts of the body that by which we live and thrive when it was when it has been divided equally amongst the veins and is enriched with digested food that is the blood so his point in a way is that in some sense that it's not i guess completely clear and maybe there was a, a sense of the body in which the romans thought of the stomach as having a kind of uh uh, like some of the functions of the mind, which it actually is, is, I think we found that the gut, for example, plays an important role in, in the human nerve, you know, um, uh, nervous system. But, but in any case, this, this stomach sort of somehow nourishes every other part of the body, and the body has to work together each according to its own function in order that it's expected of it in order to, uh, I guess, maintain health, maintain strength, and, you know, it's, as, the, as Livy says, the plebeians were convinced by this argument. So I think from our contemporary view, it, it seems like a kind of insulting idea. Well, we're just doing it to... Well, you could use it in contemporary... You could use it in a contemporary speech um, yeah. uh, to say how fat and lazy the stomach is. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's yeah. clearly, that's not what is meant. Yeah, but so, so I guess that the idea, and there's more of a tacit relationship in a sense, as I think you you wrote about, between yeah. these, rather than the mental sort of, okay, yeah. the, the, the brain decides on a purpose and all 
the object, all the parts of the body are working together towards a common purpose, a common end. Yeah, well, I think it's a fantastic kind of reversal of the metaphor because in our post-Enlightenment state, uh, we are greatly given to the idea um, just as just as we just as vision is about is is a kind of massively overrepresented in our sense of the senses. We say things like "I can see this" and so on. In the same way, thinking is this thing that the brain it, uh, we we think does, um, and of course it. You know, the secret is it doesn't do it on its own. It's not like a little central processing unit. It's distributed in various ways. Uh, but we think of this process of thinking as the central, most important thing. And that's wrong, um, I think. And so I can think of a couple, two or three um two or three philosophers who could, whose language helps one see this. You used the word tacit, and, of course, I've sort of done quite a lot of reading around a philosopher called Michael Polanyi, who was greatly taken with this idea that what we take to be our explicit knowledge, which is, you know, things like E equals MC squared or the, the Earth goes around the sun, this is knowledge that can be encoded in words and exchanged between people, he, his idea of that is that that knowledge actually doesn't exist except built on a very deep layer upon layer of tacit knowledge. So if you tell a baby that E equals MC squared, <laughs> it's not going to work. If you tell a baby or a two-year-old that the sun goes round, that the earth goes round the sun, they can start to kind of understand that, but not very much. Uh, and learning to speak, learning to write, learning to throw a ball, learning to walk, these require months and months and years of practice, and this is the tacit layer. And in that sense... Uh, the stomach might be a, a much better metaphor, or at least an, a metaphor to balance this idea of the of the brain as the dominant uh, as the dominant and organising organ. Another one is Adam Smith, who of course is famous for writing the Wealth of Nations, and for in the moderns moderns will often see him as um, uh, as um, valorizing is validating or legitimating self-interest as the thing which is the centrally important thing that helps the world go round. But of course, that was The Wealth of Nations. And there's another book that he wrote 17 years before called The Theory of Moral Sentiments. And that was about sympathy. The fact that we have sympathetic relations with each other. And of course, I use that word sympathetic because it hopefully conjures up a broader range of associations than just sympathy, oh dear, uh, the sympathetic nervous system and so on. Um, and then, of course, there's William James, who we've also talked about, which is this idea that we are connected through faith. We're connected through faith in each other. We're connected through faith that the words that I'm mysteriously pulling out of my head or wherever I'm pulling them out of line up in such a way that they mean 
something clear to me and that they can travel to you. That's all faith, and it's all faith between the tacit layer and the explicit layer and then between me and you. Uh, and it's all shows a faith in all the English speakers of the world because <laughs> that's where we got the the that's where we got the body of material that we're constantly drawing from um so yes um uh, that that idea is that, that when you told me about agricola men menius i'm not sure what is it agrippa yes i and then i called him agricola previously but i have written down agrippa below and i'll cross out agricola uh, agrippa um I thought, yep, yeah, that's uh, that's a terrific uh, that's a terrific uh, uh, that's a terrific addition to uh, you know if you're looking for metaphors, well, it's uh, right up there with the brain as a way of thinking about this, and rather better at explaining how the stomach ends up with quite so much of the <laughs> gets at least in human society quite so much of the loot. Yeah, well, I do think it's. Uh... Yeah, it's, it is an interesting metaphor, and I, I wrote one piece a while ago about it. Uh, just, you know, I think there is still an interesting, it, it raises a lot of questions, though, in a sense. So why does the, for example, the hands and the feet, so the stomach's main job is to distribute blood, but if the hands and the feet give more blood than the the teeth or, the, you know, the, the nose, I don't know. So how, how, do, how does the body, how does that decide? But it's not decided by, you know, again, our idea of justice is the idea that we have someone, you know, kind of making all the plans at the top of an organization. Yeah. And it's, so this guy's going to get, you know, $2,000 a month. And this, this woman's going to get $3,000 a month. And this guy over here, because I like him, he's going to get, you know, $100,000 a month. And so then it's like, well, that's a real question of justice, right? So this decision, this conscious decision that this person has, in a sense, discriminated against these other two people for reasons that were you know, due to self-interest, whereas the stomach, by some sort of operation that's not 100% Mm. clear, actually really, in a way, kind of focusing more on the function of each of the body parts and deciding that they need these sorts of resources versus other parts of the body which need less resources to do their job. The teeth, for example, maybe doesn't need, teeth don't need blood to Mm. function once they're being, once they're made, right? So it's interesting well, yeah, that's right. And bodies are put together in this extraordinary way. Again, a bit like uh, now I'll make another analogy, which is when we learn the root, the tacit routines that help us walk, well, nature had to evolve these routines that work out that the teeth don't need much blood, yeah. except on certain occasions they do. And, and so the, it's made this unbelievably complex organism or evolved this unbelievably complex organism and it and and it actually is one of the reasons why it won't yield to our clumsy intellection to our clumsy attempts to try to reduce it um it won't yield in any sense it won't um it won't yield in a medical sense. I mean, there are things that it does yield. We invent penicillin or we discover penicillin and it does an amazing number of things. But now we're bumping up against uh, all kinds of chronic diseases and they all seem to be multi-causal. And this hope that we had that the genome 
would get we would allow us to get to the bottom of things well that was one hell of a complicated bottom of things wow. because things, you know there are millions of these damn genes uh and bits and constituents of the genes and they get switched on and off and there's all this junk dna that we have no idea what's going on um so so it really mocks our reason and it's you know three cheers for us or two cheers for us for having got as far as we've got but it's just a you know this is billions of years of evolution we i guess we shouldn't be surprised it's pretty it, it's pretty tough stuff i'll just say one other thing which i think is which sort of hangs in my mind quite a lot which is that managers it's a very common practice for managers to imagine that it is more objective, it's obviously better, more systematic. If you're going to interview candidates, you might have a meeting beforehand or a process where you say we're going to put 30, we're going to mark this candidate on these four categories, you know, these four major categories, each of which have got subcategories, and one is, you know, ability, and another is application, and another is experience, let's say. And so they agree in principle how much they're going to mark these things, how much each of these things matter to them. And it's just a silly, I think, I mean, maybe there are circumstances, since everyone does it, I'm sure there is, it, it's got some sort of procedural logic, at least it starts conversations. But it's a ridiculously incomplete way to think about these things. It's certainly a way to make sure that you never pick up Steve Jobs as your CEO because he's out, he's out, you know, out of, knocks a couple of these things out of the park and gets about five out of five yeah. percent for some of the others. Uh, but, but a more telling way to make my point is to say to you, Peyton, what's your favorite organ? Well, <laughs> they've all got to work together. Yeah. Uh, you know, things that we just don't care about that much, the pituitary gland, gland, well, you've got to have it going. I mean, the only thing you can get rid of is the odd appendix and a spleen and things, but uh, most of your organs you, you can't do without. And so your lungs and your heart and your kidneys and your, well, no, kidneys we can now do without. But anyway, that's my point. You can't, it's, it's a sort of, you kid yourself if you say, oh, well, lungs are definitely 40% and the heart's 20%. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, try, you try doing without a heart. It's not going to work. Yeah. But so, Brain, okay. et cetera. Yeah. Well, so to bring, kind of bring this, this discussion back full circle, because I think maybe we'll, we'll have a few more minutes to talk. But, yeah. So when we look at Zelensky, what's he's doing? What in a way, I think it strikes me that one of the things that makes his uh, <clears throat> what he's done inspirational is that he is, you know, he he is taking on the, the duties in a sense of, let's say, the ordinary soldier or the ordinary person. And you yep. know, I think that that's a really inspirational part of politics. You know, it's part of what made Trump appealing. He, he sort of sold himself as an, an ordinary person. Right. Um, with his with his Big Macs, yeah, yeah, with his Big with Macs, his hamburgers. I don't know whether they were Big Macs. They were certainly hamburgers, anyway. Bill Clinton was the one who went to McDonald's too, you know. But anyway, the, yeah. the whole point was, is more though. So what? That that certainly is energizing. It's like you know the stomach in a sense. In a, in that way, he he doesn't necessarily need to have that that role, that action, but to kind of take on the. 
But is it is it the is it the roles? Is it the responsibilities of the soldier, or is it the dangers that they face, or what is it that you know? Because he could have just left, and he could have set up a you know one of these governments abroad, and he could have. Yeah. Yeah. run this this operation from there and it would have been safer in some senses and, and yeah. other leaders have done and this in other and also you could argue it's actually better for everyone yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so you, you yeah. could argue that this is reckless and that he should have done this that's what other leaders have done in the past yeah but so but but it, it you know i think we we both agree that it it has created a different kind of response by staying so yeah what is it is it the is it the responsibility the role of the other let's say taking on the role of the the hand or the, the foot, or is it the danger that they face, or what is the aspect? Well, to me, I can only give a very personal answer, and to me, it is that he cut through the acres of bullshit that we live through. Uh, the European Union diplomats and statespeople were already bullshitting about the toughest sanctions and all this sort of stuff. Now, um, he does... Uh, so... so so you can just see, you can see and touch, as it were, reality. You can see and touch the reality that he is representing. And it is such a shock to see the difference between the reality the others are representing. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know whether, I mean, <sighs> things were different just in terms of physical courage in 1940 with Winston Churchill, but when Winston Churchill was disgraced in World War One for his pretty ordinary performance. Um, it looks like he came up with the Gallipoli campaign, which any viewers in Australia will be very familiar with, a massive cock-up. Uh, and he can argue it wasn't his fault. But anyway, so in 1916, you know what he did when he, 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 I don't know whether he was booted out or whether he retired as First Lord of the Admiralty. I think that was his position. You know what he did then? He went to the front. He spent three months in the trenches. Now, um, that's good enough for me. So he doesn't have to prove that. I mean, he wanted to prove himself crazy brave the whole time. Whenever he was flying to North Africa to meet de Gaulle, he'd ask his pilots to fly over the front and they'd say, no, Prime Minister. <laughs> um, uh, and he was, he, he was full heartily brave in South Africa as a journalist. He doesn't have to prove that all the time, but we know that it's not bullshit. When he says we will fight them on the beaches, we will fight them on the landing grounds, we will fight them on the sea and in the air, we will, and so on it goes. Yeah. Um, we know we're not being bullshitted, and that's a bigger problem today than it was then. Um, when he's giving his speech about fighting on the beaches, that is 20, 28 years after the sinking of the Titanic, when a captain went down with his ship. And I guess it was pretty much the same then. Um, so that, to me, is what Zelensky did. And then this sort of sniff of hope, this sniff of possibility, this sniff of the better side of our nature take, makes the thing, and his charisma, makes the thing take off. Yeah. Uh, other, because otherwise he could have been a very courageous odd sort of little curmudgeon who just sort of gives a talk and it's all very horrible and pathetic and he gets blown up by a missile there and then and everyone just gets depressed. I mean, that's the thing. you And that, that's somewhere in James as well, in, in William James as well, that faith is a risk. Faith is taking a risk. Uh, it's always taking a risk and if it isn't, it's not faith.
Yeah, and maybe it has something to do too. If he, you know, if he'd gone and created a government in exile, he would have been and hoped that Europe and America and all these other, you know, he could sort of diplomatically arrange sanctions against Russia or something along these lines. Yeah, he would have been saying, "I'm not part of this body, uh, Ukraine. I'm part of this bureaucratic, you know, European body." That's and, right. That's right. I'm, that's, I'm part of the I'm part of the kingdom of words. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I'm, 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 I'm an exile from the kingdom of deeds. Uh, I'm coming to you. My voice is coming to you from the kingdom of words. And yeah. we've had enough words. We've had it up to absolute here with words. Well, yeah, I think that, that, that sums it up really well. And uh, I think, you know, I hope, let's hope that things really work out. Yeah. Well, you, you did mention, and we will maybe we could have ended on the inspiring note that I've just <laughs> given you or we can end up, but I think I'd like to also end on your point. And I'm not quite sure, but I wrote down the word prudence. Um, and that was intimated in one of the stories you, you were telling. And I'm not, do you remember when I was, you didn't use the word prudence, but a sort of care and maybe this was um, Agrippa was referring to the importance of the Senate in exercising caution. I'm not sure what it was, but that's the other thing. So we can't. We're now at risk of getting so carried away that we don't exercise prudence, as if we couldn't manage to blow up a billion people. So this yeah. is just immensely difficult, and I'm more grateful than I can possibly say for Mr. Zelensky. And we have to keep our wits about us. It's the brain stuff now, I suppose. But it's also the body and it's prudence. Uh, and uh, we really have to try hard and not just get carried away. Yeah, I think that that's very true. So I'll, <clears throat> I'll just, uh, you know, we'll be very grateful for good leadership in times like these. And, and we'll do also yes, indeed. Best to be uh, indeed. Uh, part of you know, a better world and I think, you know, a new new order is kind of emerging and we're going to see, hopefully it'll be run by the best of our, you know, best of our people, best of our abilities. You know. Just a bit more truth-telling will do. You know, I've got my sights just quite modestly on a little more truth-telling and <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. talked about that in a number of these, in, in a number of our talks. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been great talking. Thank and you. We'll, you know, talk again next week. Thanks, Peyton. Bye.